Welcome to another episode of the Tiger Cast. Thankfully, that intro didn't come back to bite me in the ass last week, <laughs> even though we lost. Lloyd didn't kick a goal after the siren, and we didn't lose by 45 points, so I've gotten out of trouble on both counts there. But not a great game to be coming off the back off for a podcast, but we will push on. Uh, tonight, we've got an opposition guest joining us as well, which is going to be very exciting, as we do love the opposition analysis, because they know their clubs better than we do. But firstly, from the Richmond board, making a, a return appearance, Joel ZT. Have I gotten that right again? If I, I was doubting myself, but welcome to the show. Yeah, no, that's right. And okay. I think I told you last year, Joe is fine. <laughs> no, I know, but it's the username's there, so if I, I'll, I'll probably call you Joel side at some stage throughout the episode. I know, I'm, I know it's going to happen, but I'll do my best. How have you been? I've been good. Well, except for the obvious, but otherwise I've been good. You? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't great viewing on Saturday night or whenever it was, but yeah, hopefully the boys can bounce back and be a test of character. It would be nice. And from the Fremantle board, we have their esteemed moderator, Ali Cat. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. No worries at all. Uh, your mob on the weekend just fell short as well. How would you make of that game? It was interesting. <laughs> um, it was a game that was kind of turned a bit by a bit of umpiring. We'll probably talk about a bit later, but it was frustrating. It was interesting. It was very defensive, which you'd expect from a Fremantle, really. Um, but a bit disappointing we didn't get across the line. 51 to 34. Now, I'm, I won't lie. When I saw the score on my phone, I thought there must have been a monsoonal downpour in Adelaide. That's how low it was. From a spectacle point of view, though, was it hard to watch? Like, was it one of those games that was just dog ugly, or it just that's just how it panned out? That's just how it panned out, really. The crazy thing is, like, you see a half-time score is, like, tiny, like, one goal to two or something like that. The first half of the game, where it was just defence versus defence, was actually really interesting to watch because you were just anticipating something happening. Um, even though nothing was ever happening. Like, it was some great skills from both sides, really great defensive play, um, both forward lines getting completely shut out, and it actually made for kind of good viewing. Um, then the second half just turned into like a slog fest and a lot of flooding and some really bad umpiring calls. Yeah, that, that's probably the theme of the round. Um, and how's our former player Reese Conker going? He obviously made the move over to you guys. Um, he was probably a whipping boy at stages with us, but. A lot of that probably comes down to where he was drafted versus the players around him. But when he got his body right, his output was pretty good for us. So is he ticking along okay with you? Yeah, he hasn't been a superstar for us, but he hasn't really had a bad game either. He's one of those players that you just don't really notice. You kind of forget plays for us until you see him on the screen. Um, So hopefully we get a breakout game from him soon. But I don't think he'll ever be a whipping boy, but I don't think he's ever going to be that superstar. Yeah, that's fair enough. And hopefully that breakout game's not this weekend. No disrespect <laughs> to Reese uh, And Joe, I will run with Joe because it, I feel more comfortable doing that. Uh, our it's game fine. wasn't the greatest of nights, was it? 47 points against the Dogs. I didn't feel like we were ever in it, really. I know we got the first goal, I think it was. But after that, they just seemed like they had full control. Yeah, I, um, I have actually don't think I've ever been more upset by a game of football, if you can believe that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I was fine when we lost to Collingwood. I was fine when we lost to GWS because I expected it because of all our outs. But, um, and because Collingwood and GWS are both very, very good teams this year. But 
I just didn't expect it against the Western Bulldogs. And we didn't even, we didn't look like we'd even shown up even from the beginning. And it's just really, really, really frustrating to watch. Yeah, especially coming off the 10-day break. If, oh, I yeah. thought they might have been rejuvenated and um, had a red-hot crack. but And obviously the counter to that is the Bulldogs coming off a loss to Carlton. I mean, no one wants to lose to them, let's be honest. So they were going yes. to come out yeah. pretty pissed off and trying to prove a point. So that was to be expected. But I've always said I can handle losing. I don't mind that. But it's when you lose and not a lot of effort shown that really bugs me. And for me, the only player that I thought could hold his head up high was probably uh, Sydney Stack, I, I thought. He played another pretty good game. Um, but the selection table was probably a confusing point for me too. I mean, that Aaron Norton, he played like Wayne Carey on Saturday night. He did. Nine contested yeah. marks. He was unbelievable. But we didn't bring in anyone to cover for him. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I was okay with the selection night. I had a vague idea of what they were trying to do. They were hoping... It looked like they were hoping they could run them off their feet because they haven't had a great history of running out games this year first simple dogs but i can recall anyway and um but one they bring in the wrong person for that um because uh we've got a lot of kids that still i have trouble running out games and connor menadu unfortunately is probably one of the worst for it he came seems to drop in and out a lot but Still, at the same time, even though I kind of understood why they did it, I still don't get why they didn't bring in Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I know. Garthway's very unlucky. I mean, he's there primed, ready to go, playing yeah. on the VFL. He's, he was pretty much there for this exact reason, and we're not using him, so it's a bit strange. Uh, the other thing yeah. I want to ask you about is I see a lot of your posts on the game day threads at various points that you're screaming out for why don't we play man-on-man, man, enough of the zone bull crap when it's not going our way and I 100% agree with you that sometimes a good bit of accountable football when they're chipping it around is the best way to go it is it's um well I'm not a big football brain or anything but I just it makes sense to me it's like okay if we played man on man people like Norton people like you know who was it side bottom for Collingwood and Camilio Coniglio for the GWS. They probably wouldn't be getting off the chain as much as they do with us if they actually, you know, if we played man on man because everyone would be covered, you would hope. <laughs> you would, and I suppose that means for this week, Alley Cat, that you can probably expect Nathan Fife to have no opponent for three quarters of the game. So Yeah, I've already um penciled Fife in, by the way, for four goals and about forty disposals, just as an FYI. <laughs> Well, I'm pretty sure everyone likes watching Fife play, so <laughs> every supporter will enjoy that one. Now, Alec, Alec, back to your game. We were talking about the free, well, you talked about the free kicks, and we are talking about off-air as well. Uh, yeah. The main one to talk about has to be that non-holding the ball decision against Eddie Betts. I'm not sure of the Fremantle player who laid the tackle, but Betts tried to take him on in the Ford 50, got caught, dropped the ball, had a fresh air shot uh, trying to kick it, and umpire calls play on. How did you not break a TV? Like I told you, I was at my friend's house. I don't think she would have really appreciated if I broke her TV. I'm sure she would have but understood that. I, yeah, I'm, she, she was pretty close to doing it as well. Uh, there was a few choice swear words, some probably some new made-up swear words, because it was just that bad a decision. 
I was I like can't understand how there wasn't a single umpire looking at that thinking, hey, Eddie Betts just ran about fifty meters, then dropped the ball. Why isn't that holding the ball? Yeah, play on. And then to make it worse, and I didn't realise this until today, that one of the contentious fifty meter penalties um, against Brad Hill was paid maybe ten seconds later after they got a free kick for a high tackle that the bloke ducked for. Exactly. So when Eddie Vets got that ball out, the ball went straight to one of Adelaide's players. That player was tackled high and got a free kick, airballed the kick completely, completely missed the goals. That was paid that 50-metre penalty because Brad Hill threw the grass. And um, watching, yeah, watching the video, the grass was thrown well before he kicked it. It's not like it was at the same time and maybe might have impacted his vision. I found that a bit staggering that they went down that path. Plus, it's grass. Like, it's going to fall down within a metre of throwing it. There's no way it's going to hit a player. And it happens regularly. Like, Brad Hill does that quite often. Um, so, he never been picked up for it before. He's probably even done it when he was playing for Hawthorne back in the days. Like, I'm sure other players have done it as well. And all of a sudden, in a game where it's so low scoring and something like that is going to have such a big impact on the game, they decide to call it. Yeah, and up until strange. that point as well... That actually put the umpires had put the whistle away for most of the game and probably contributed quite a fair bit to being low, so low scoring because holding like holding the man free kicks and that kind of thing weren't being paid. And so for them to come out and make such a really weird 50 metre penalty after missing such a blatant free kick really affected the entire game. Yeah, I can't imagine that would have been well received by. Uh, the Fremantle supporter base. And you were telling me there was another 50-metre penalty that was paid that was a bit dubious as well from an out-of-bounds out of free kick or something? Yeah, this one's a bit hard to find. I haven't been able to find a replay of it anywhere. Seems these are the kind of ones that the AFL won't put replays up on because they might have to admit that they're wrong. Um, Darcy Tucker tried to mark the ball. Ball went out-of-bounds. So he put the ball on the ground before the bounding umpire called out in the full. So at that stage, obviously, he's putting the ball down the ground, not knowing it's out in the full. Bounding umpire calls out in the full because Darcy Tucker's put the ball on the ground. The field umpire calls 50 because he didn't hand the ball to the Adelaide player. Oh, my God. He got pinned 50-meter penalty for not giving to the ball to a player that hadn't yet been given a free kick. Yeah, that's... Wow. Yeah, that's a bit strange. I can now understand why I couldn't find that vision today. Exactly, wow. and from that they got another goal. Like I said, a game that's so low scoring, these were both in the third quarter, both resulted in Adelaide goals. Literally result, like, changed the result of the game. What's the difference between that and say a player deliberately runs the ball out of bounds and then just like throws it away as if they're throwing it to the boundary umpire, but then the umpire pays a free kick? They've never ever paid a 50 after that. Exactly. Um. It completely baffled me how they paid that one at all. At the umpire had it was the um, the ball was at the umpire's feet when they caught out of bounds in the fall. Jeez, that's criminal. Well, yeah. One thing for that's, certain, you'll you'll get it made up to you this week. <laughs> that's ridiculous. I've watched criminal games before. We don't get that kind of stuff made up to us. I just, I just it, Adelaide games in Adelaide. Adelaide Crows, not Port Adelaide. Adelaide Crows games at Adelaide Oval are notorious for their bad umpiring. But that, I think, actually takes the cake from what I've heard from you tonight. It really does. Like, I've seen some really poorly umpired games, especially this year as well. Like, everyone's 
from every team has been complaining about it. I yeah. haven't seen anything that, that was this bad, this blatant, and had such a massive impact on the result of the game. And the thing yeah, about it's... that, what you said about a lot of people complaining about umpiring this year, is it's also people from winning teams. So it's not just the same old, like, the sore loser kind of syndrome. It's people who have won games or their team's won games and they still don't know what the hell's gone on with some of the decisions. So it's something they need to address quickly because this year of all years, I'm really struggling to understand some of the rules. And that's just from a spectator, let alone an umpire trying to judge all of this and make an interpretation in real time. So I kind of feel bad for the umpires at times, but at the same time, I, I do think they need to be held accountable as well, like the coaches and players are. Um, and I did tweet a suggestion that they maybe should look at having an umpire press conference after the game. And I know a lot of people will just laugh and say it'll never happen. And they're right, it probably won't ever happen. But it'd be good if they were able to be asked questions about certain decisions so they could provide an explanation. And if it means they're putting their hand up to say, yep, I got it wrong, I think they'd gain a bit more respect that way as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just think they need a bit more clarity out there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Every definitely. time you hear from the AFL about umpiring, they're like, this umpire got this correct. And if there's something that the umpire doesn't get correct, you won't find it anywhere. Like that holding the ball from out, from Eddie Bats is not on the AFL website. It's on every other news website. Um, and um, sorry, the worst thing is one week they'll say something is a correct decision, but then the next week they'll do the complete opposite and then that will also be called the correct decision. So Exactly. There's no consistency and there's no accountability. Like there's other yes. sports out there where if an umpire gets something incorrect, that umpire will get sanctioned for it. Like they won't get a game the next week. They'll actually get, I guess, suspended the same way our players get suspended for doing their job wrong. Yeah. So I don't see why they can't bring something like that into AFL when there's such a crisis of umpiring happening at the moment. Now, we wouldn't usually talk about players from another team, but given it's Tuesday night and the tribunal hearings only come through not long ago, Gary Ablett, obviously, as everyone would probably know by now, has gotten off the striking charge on Dylan Shield. So, I think, was it was it a fine it come down to, or did he get nothing at all? Whichever way, he didn't end up having to serve a week, which I find absolutely mind-blowing when he jumped off the ground and elbowed him in the head. Dylan Grimes did something very similar, probably with a bit more force, I suppose, to Jamie Elliott, and copped a week, which is fair enough. And um, obviously Dustin got his time, which is fair enough as well. Uh, what do you make of that, Elika? I think that there are different rules for different people. Basically, um, Gary Ablett seems to have never been suspended in his entire career, despite the fact that he tends to do this quite often. Um, I think it's been interpreted really poorly in the match review panel tonight, or whatever it is that... Um, the tribunal yep sorry wheel of fortune yeah (laughs) basically um like your intentional is based on what your act is so the fact that he jumped off the ground towards a player with his elbow out that definitely happened um but they've downgraded it from intentional because he didn't mean to like knock him out or whatever he's like Abbott didn't mean to actually punch him in the head um which isn't how it should be interpreted it should be interpreted based on what the action what Ablett did, which was fly off, jump off the ground with his elbow out towards someone's head, or you know, use the uh, what the um, use the what was it? Uh, the potential to cause injury. Injury, cause. like they did with Dusty. <laughs> yeah, Granted, exactly. I think the tribunal downgraded Dusty's on the basis that that was complete bullshit that they tried to throw yeah, that in there, I know. but it still allegedly weighed into the decision. Yeah. 
But the other fascinating point about the Ablett one is the verdict took three minutes to come to the conclusion to. Now, I, I can't get my head around how something like that can take three minutes. It, it was totally planned. Tinfoil hat yeah, time. for sure. Yeah. It's almost like Chriso has rang up Geelong and said, look, we're going to give him a week just because we've got to make sure we're seen to be doing the right thing, but appeal it because we'll get it turned over. It's fine. Like that's what, I know that's probably not what happened, but that's what it feels like because three minutes, that's a bit of a joke. Exactly, and for people, like the tribunal made up of people that kind of know the rules of the AFL. They're not lawyers or judges or anything like that. They should have to spend time actually working out what the rules are, and there's no way you can do it in three minutes. Yeah, it's just... They need to... I just... I've never been this week... Well, with this Gary Ablett decision, I know last week or the week before, a couple last couple of weeks, some people have been talking about on um, the Richmond board in particular, so I think it was our board, someone mentioned maybe they should scrap one, you know, and just stick with the original decision in the first place. No no second chances, no appeals, then maybe they're, they're more likely to get it right that first time. Yeah, and if you look at how well the match review chairman's gone this year, whoever it is, yeah. Mark Christian, isn't it, something like that? Yeah. yeah. Um, I should know this because <laughs> I pay a lot of attention to tribunal. Um, almost everything that's gone to the tribunal has been overturned. I know. it's Or just... downgraded. Like yeah. he's, oh, either he's getting it completely wrong or the tribunal is running off a different set of rules. And I think that's a massively valid point and it's something that has to be considered and that isn't spoken about by the media. Surprise, surprise. But yeah, it <laughs> kind of really discredits the job he's doing if they keep getting things overturned anytime someone appeals. Exactly. Well, yeah. yep. oh, I'm sure we could shit can umpires all night. It'd be a lot of fun <laughs> with the MRO. But what I do want to know, I want to know the three things you both learnt from round seven. So, Joe, I'll start with you. What's the three things? Well, actually, the tribunal was one of those three things uh, I've learnt over the weekend and yesterday that the um, media actually does have a lot to say about what happens in the tribunal and the MRP match review panel they have a huge amount to say about what happens in those two it feels like that's a good call and i don't know if you've been on our no position supporter thread tonight uh but snake baker has put a post on there after a few richmond people it's were the first one of up his i've ever agreed with it was brilliant it was a photo of uh, yes. uh, like a qc judge with the big curly wig with jared waitley's face on it as oh, in, yeah. mm-hmm. Because he has sprouted Ablett's defence all week, and that was brilliant by Snake, so well played. It was very good. That was one of the only posts of Snakes that I have ever agreed with. So if you're listening this to this, Snake Baker, kudos to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, number two is thank you, AFL. I learnt this weekend that I have now got so much more time over the weekend to do whatever the heck I want. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And that's because you're not wanting to watch other games anymore? I have no desire to watch any neutral games. Only Richmond. <laughs> no desire whatsoever. Fair enough. I'll follow the scores on the AFL app, but, and I'll talk to you guys on the board, but that's about it, pretty much, as far as I go with the neutral viewership. And the third one is the most important one. I learned that how does a kid in his fifth game have 19 disposals, three inside 50s, six intercepts, four tackles, 
four score involvements, two goal assists, kicked a goal and took seven marks. How does that kid not get a Rising Star nomination? And that is why I wonder if Sydney Stack will even be included in the conversation for the Rising Star winner this year, along with Rosie and Sam Walsh, because he certainly deserves to be. Tinfoil hat time again. I saw this yeah. on Facebook, so you take this with an absolute grain of salt, but some guy claims that he had heard through various sources that the AFL had instructed them not to nominate Sydney Stack because of his past. They didn't want someone with baggage, as you might call it, to get a nomination. Now, that's probably complete bullshit, but it's just been thrown out there, so I thought I would bring that to the table. Um, but those stats... Those are brilliant stats for a half-backer, half-back flanker. They are absolutely phenomenal stats I, I went for a bit someone further. in Sydney Stack's position at the oh, moment. For sure. For someone who no one, everyone overlooked, really, he's proven a lot of people wrong. So I went yeah. and had a look up at his stats for the five games so far, and I've called it <laughs> Stack's Stats Stack Up. That's pretty, yes. I'm not going to try that and say that fast, are. but it was pretty clever. I liked it. So he's got five games, and these are all averages. So 16.2 disposals, 5.6 marks, three tackles, uh, 5.6 contested possessions, 10.4 uncontested. And this is the best one. Disposal efficiency averaged over five games, 87.7%. That's that would the be roof. elite. That is that would be elite, especially for his position. A, that's above elite. I know it's only five games, so it's a small sample size, but... I think there was one game he definitely went at 100%. So all it says is he uses the ball properly. And look, I do think deep down his time will come and he will get a nomination. Um, but yeah, some of the ones early on have been questionable, but some of them have been deserved as well, like kicking like bags of goals. But yeah. yeah. Well, I yeah, I think I like you saw last, last year, um, a lot of the, the superstar rather than some nom rising star nominations were spread out across the year despite how good a game players were having like we had Andrew Brayshaw last year who was having an amazing year he was getting stats better than Fife in some games like he was literally our best on ground for games that we won and he didn't get a nomination when there was like random people like you'd never heard of before maybe got like 10 disposals getting nominations and then he ended up getting injured and out for the season, and there was no way for him to end up getting that nomination because now he's played too many games. Like, yeah. I can see why you'd spread out the nominations so you don't have all these superstars at the start of the year, then by the end of the year, no one cares anymore because these players aren't that great. But you run the risk of, like we had with Brochure last year, there's no way to get that back. Yeah, I just, it's just, I just, I don't, I, I'm sorry. It's, and I actually, maybe I'm biased, I don't know, being a Richmond supporter, but I actually think Stack does deserve to be in the conversation for the Rising Star win with um, Rosie from Port Adelaide and uh, Walsh from Carlton. But I just, hopefully oh, even he doesn't get so, injured. <laughs> so even as a neutral, I believe he should be as well. Like He's had a really good season and you can even, like, even just from the stats, he should definitely have one. Like he's, You'd want that out of any player, not just a first year. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. It's just... Yeah, those are the type of stats. Was it 2017? No, last year. Those are the... I think Flossie was getting those sorts of stats last year, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And this last year, I think, was Flossie's career best season, wasn't it? Or close to? Yeah, I would have said it's one of his better years, and he's carried that on. But yeah, they're good numbers for a fifth gamer. But yeah, I'm sure his time will come, hopefully. I hope so. 
And Ellicott, what are the three things you learnt from round seven? Well, I actually started off with umpiring in mine. But um, not just the umpiring missile with ours, but the fact that you've got such bad umpiring at an AFL level where people can actually feel justified getting upset about it is probably contributing quite severely to the umpire abuse we're seeing at lower levels. So you have uh, someone watching their AFL team, you see like ours, the whole game's changed because of how umpiring's happening. You see an umpire doing the same kind of thing at a level level, you've already yelled at umpires that week, why wouldn't you yell at it again? I told you earlier, I play play footy at a local level and it's come to the point that you've got signs up saying not to abuse the umpires. Every umpire has an escort, so they've got someone, basically security, standing with them at all times, escorting them from their change rooms out to the ground so they can't mingle with anybody before or after the game. Um, I think you're going to get better attitudes at a lower level if we start having accountability for our umpires at a higher level, because if your fans start respecting AFL umpires at a high level, then they'll probably be more resistant to iffy umpiring at a lower level. Yeah, it's a good call. Yep. It'll just flow down, won't it, the respect chart. And it, it must be hard for the local umpires to... I'm assuming that a lot of the new rules in AFL are flowing down to local level. Have you found the umpires have maybe had a few more challenges with the interpretations of these new rules? Definitely. Um, obviously, I play in the women's league, and so we don't tend to get the better umpires yet. Um, we get the more developing ones, and you actually get bad interpretations of rules quite regularly because they don't know the new ones yet. I think last season we had a, one umpire that regularly would give us 25-metre penalties because he didn't realise it's 50-metre penalties. Um, so... You know, you're not going to get the greatest umpiring at that kind of level, especially when you're changing it all the time. Yeah. Um, the other thing yeah. with the women's football as well is that, you know, you've got these umpires which will umpire AFL, they'll also umpire AFL women's, and they'll umpire the VFL women's and that kind of stuff as well. VFL women's and your senior women's that I play in have the same rules as the men. It's only AFL women's which has a different set of rules. So you've got these same umpires which have two set of rules for two different competitions. That is interesting, yeah. Yeah, so you're not just having brand new rules brought up for to learn for a year. You've got different rule interpretations with the same umpires over different um, competitions. That makes zero sense why they would do that. That's my... Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me either. It's weird. Like, Very what hope have they got? Like, a lot of these umpires like, obviously still work. Some some might be kids studying and so on. Like, they've got enough to have to deal with instead of having to remember two sets of rules. Exactly. Oh, Just, God. yes. It's... I know. So, the second thing I have was how much of a problem Buddy being at Sydney is. Um. No one seemed to have brought it up very much in the media. Sydney is sitting bottom of the ladder. So you hear so much about how badly Carlton's going and a few other teams. No one's cared about the fact that Sydney are sitting right at the bottom. And I think it's because they still have Buddy on their list. They've got this game plan which is based around the fact that they have Buddy and they've got him as the forward. We saw this when we had Pav around as well, whenever we didn't have Pavlich around. We had no idea how to use a forward line because we didn't have that marking target and it's taken us until like this year to work it out. Um, but Sydney are going to end up with the same problem that we've had because Buddy can't get on the park at the moment and we're seeing that with their games. 
we're seeing their midfield have no idea who to get the ball to because Buddy's not there to take it. And he takes up such a huge amount of salary cap that their entire makeup of their side is a bit not very good because they can't afford to get another player in. Do you buy into the speculation that's floated around that they might be looking to send him back to a Melbourne club? Or do you think that's just a bit of rumour? I think it's a bit of rumour. And also, if you look at what happened when he first came across to Sydney, Sydney were told by the AFL if he left their list for any reason, they'd still need to cover him, cover his cost in their salary cap. So they could send him off to Hawthorne, send the entire salary cap to Hawthorne. It still has to be added onto Sydney's salary cap based on okay. what the rules. I didn't know that. The time. Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, that is – that's – well, that that seems like worse punishment that Essendon got for their freaking drug saga. Well, obviously, AFL <laughs> wanted Buddy to go to – the Giants at the time, which I'm so glad yeah. he didn't because I think that would have ruined the Giants. Um, and it was basically a punishment for them doing that. Yeah, but... Yeah, right, okay. That's it. Just, it seems like a... Yeah, they just... Yeah, the AFL wants to make, wanted to make a stand, it sounds like, but... Yeah. Like, but I think it's a good me, call that's... by the AFL because if I was Sydney, your, your plan would be, okay, we'll offer him 10 years. If he's starting to slow down at the seven-year mark when he's got a bit of currency, we'll ship him off somewhere else. Get yeah. the back end of that deal wiped because apparently also the back end of the contract is the larger portion of money as well. So I think that's yeah. why they wanted to put that clause in there now that you mentioned it, Alicat, because otherwise, yeah, they could have just offloaded the more expensive part of the deal, which is effectively cheating in some it, aspects. Yeah, when you yeah put and they could also way, have, yeah. yeah, they also could have him retire halfway through, and that means the rest of his contracts paid out, not in the salary cap. They were told they're not allowed to do that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Well, that's a good call then that he's weighing him down. Mm-hmm. And the last one on the other side of things is this could be the Giants' year. As long as Jeremy Cameron doesn't do his stupid getting banned halfway through the season for a few weeks and then taking a couple of weeks to get back into it, he's on track to kick 100 goals for the first time in quite a while in the AFL. And if he can keep this up, not get banned... This could be the Giants, yeah. The problem is it's Jeremy Cameron. He will get banned. Exactly. Oh, yeah, he will, he will totally get banned. Get banned. <laughs> it's going to happen. For something less than what Ablett did. Exactly. Yeah. And no one's really talking up the Giants much other than how well Jeremy Cameron's going, who's obviously, like, smashing the Coleman at the moment. And no one's really talking up the Giants because they're at this level every year and they never really get anywhere. So it'd be interesting to see if Jeremy Cameron can keep this up. Um, yeah, but he has a temper, Jeremy. Down. He really does. It's Maybe he needs a bit of yoga before games or something, a bit of meditation. Yeah, I actually that. find it. I love Jeremy Cameron. Okay, he's one of my favourite. Oh, I love favorites. watching him play. He's one of my favourite footballers. Him and Phil Davies. I just watch, love watching both of them at GWS. But he's he such an unassuming-looking fellow that it's actually really funny when he gets so peed off with the defender and he just does something stupid. It's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I think their biggest issue... Yeah. I still don't know if they can mentally get over the prelim final hurdle just yet, but they've got the talent. If they get over that hurdle, the floodgates are going to open and we could be in for three or four years of them being right up there playing off the flags, which is what the AFL wants, essentially. Everyone threatened... Everyone thought was going to happen last year, I think it was. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, everyone thought it would happen last year and then the same thing as that happened. Jeremy Cameron got 
stand because it's what he does. I think it may have even yeah. been against us. Um, and he always <laughs> takes a few weeks to come back as well once he once he gets back to the side. Like, he takes a few weeks before he gets good again, if he does. So he needs to make sure he keeps up that momentum if he wants to have a good year. No, very yeah. good call. Um, I'm going to go with just one thing I learned because it's long-winded and it probably will take up enough time to cover three. But for anyone who's followed the Big Footy Tiger Cast account on Twitter and even one of the threads I made, the biggest thing or talking point for me so far is all pre-season, the AFL and the media preach to us that this new 666 rule was going to promote higher scoring games. That was their motto. That was what they were standing by. They made the decision to bring this in off the back of two VFL games that were bottom four teams. So that's the data they collected to make a decision like that that changed the game on entirely. But so far, and this is thanks to Peter Higginbotham on Twitter, who's a stats guru. So he's got a, 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 an Excel spreadsheet going with the average score per round over the last nine years um, the average of those nine years, and then obviously for 2019 as well. So I'll go through the first seven rounds, and I'll just use the overall average of the nine years and what 2019 was. So for round one, the average for the last nine years was 184.5 points in the round, and in 2019 it was 157.3. In round two, the overall average was 182, but for 2019 it was 162.3. In round three, the overall average was 183.6 for the last nine years, but for 2019, it was 176.8. For round four, the overall average was 175.3, but for 2019, it was 150.7. Round five, the overall was 175.5, but the 2019 was 169.6. Round six, the overall average was 176.7, but for 2019, it was 161.6. And for last week, round seven, the overall average for the last nine years was 185.1. But the 2019 average was 154.8. So That's each... our fault, sorry. I know, it largely your fault, that is true. Um, but the every round so far has been well under what the average is for the last nine years. And it's not trending upwards. So... Yeah. I'm waiting to see when is the media going to start talking about this as an actual matter of fact that it's not improved the scoring. And look, I'm not deba- I'm not saying that it's not creating better one-on-one contests because it is. Is it is it affecting the quality of the games? Maybe, maybe not. Kind of yet to be determined. But they harped on about high-scoring games is what this was going to deliver because apparently that's what the people wanted, even though a lot of people I know were never asked that question of what they wanted. Um, but those numbers are just staggering, and they're—it's proof that it's not working currently. Yeah, but when was the last time the AFL and the AFL media admitted they were wrong? No such thing. Exactly, it's not going to happen. Unfortunately, I—they're here to stay until not, they yeah. get so sick of it, they just change something else without admitting they were wrong. It's true, but I mean, yeah. I know social media can be a powerful tool. So every time. This has been posted. A lot of people are starting to tag a lot more journos in it. So hopefully someone does take notice. Uh, I know Jay Clark liked one of the retweets on it. So he's obviously read it. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see if anything does develop, if this trend continues. We're seven rounds in and it's not looking good at all for what they told us we were going to see. Mm -hmm. The best thing they never backtrack on anything that's actually incorrect as well. They leave the bad rules in and just come up with a different rule to try and make up for the bad rule that didn't work. Yeah. 
yep, think how yeah. much. And it's not just the new, just that rule that's brought in that's made a different difference than what they expected. If you really should go back and watch out the second quarter of our game this week, so the one between us and Adelaide. There were zero goals scored in that quarter. And he had the new rules of when runners and when water people are allowed on the field, which is basically runners are only allowed on after goals and runners are only uh, water people are only allowed on the field when there's no live play going on, which means no one was allowed on that field during the second quarter. Yeah, so, those players would have been exhausted. Exactly. And, of course, you've got the cap on interchanges as well. So for any player to that had been running their guts out to get a drink of water, they had to use one of our interchange cap positions. That's a oh really interesting gosh. point. That's, yeah. yeah. So and then, and on top of I mean, that, all equals inaccuracy essentially. If you've got all these fatigued players who couldn't get off the ground for a drink, and then having to try and kick goals, they're going to be exhausted. Exactly, and you couldn't get a runner on the field to try and change up what your strategy is either, to try and get some more goals kicked, rather than it just being like a defensive, defensive best. Don't uh, you hold up the big hmm. signs with the numbers on it, or have an iPad like everyone else does? Look, I'm pretty sure that does nothing, especially if you're running for 30 minutes straight. If you're running for 30 minutes straight, you're not looking at the boundary line for, like, your your number to come up. You're probably so blind from dehydration by that stage. You couldn't sit anyway. Yeah. Yeah, one of the dumbest changes they've tried to bring in. Yeah, that and banning the runner was just a knee-jerk reaction, essentially. I think they're going to have to change that. Yeah, exactly. um, I reckon... It's got to be. Has it been brought to the attention of the um, AFLPA? Because player welfare is, you know, they're probably the best people to make an argument for the runner to be come back for the better for better player welfare. Yeah, for sure. I'm not sure if they know, and I can't remember who the player was. I know it wasn't a Richmond player, but someone uh, I know knows a player from another club, and they've said. to them that this is the most exhausted they've ever felt in matches because of the inability to be able to come off the ground or not knowing when their rotation's meant to occur. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of see that um, across the whole competition. Like, there's so many many teams not running out games very well. Like, you said you guys weren't. We played Bulldogs a couple of weeks ago and they didn't run out the game well at all. Um, And it's affecting who we can select in our teams as well. Like, we've got Ruckman, young Ruckman, Sean Darcy, who we'd love to have on the side, but he's just not fit enough for this year's rules. And it's probably a reason why we keep um, playing people like, or giving people like Connor Menadieu a shot, because they apparently have good endurance. And Brandon Ellis, when he has a bad game, he keeps coming back because he's our best endurance runner, I think, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yep. Yeah. To be fair, Conker's been really good for us for that. He's one player that basically can play out the whole game. We don't have to worry about it. He was always good with his endurance, wasn't he, Conker? I don't remember him ever not running out of game. Exactly, he's been really good for us for that. Just injured, yeah. Hopefully he's past that, because I quite like Conker. The Conker cuddles, that's what it's all about. I know, (laughs) I actually cried when... It got announced that he was going to Fremantle. I was like, no. It's really funny. When I heard it, I was like, the only experience I really had of Conquer was when he hit, was it um, De- one Devin of the best players? Yeah, De- yeah, Devin Smith in the back of the head. And I was like, I wanted him deregistered from the AFL when that happened. So when I heard we were getting him, I was like, this is disgusting. 
That was it's that hit cool. was actually really out of character for Reese Colgar. Bad. It was really out of character. We're starting. <laughs> we're starting. We still sledge Gaff for the hit from last year, but we're kind of getting over the fact that it was out of character. We probably won't do it again. So I guess mm. we can forgive Gaff a little bit. We can forgive Conker for that one as well, as long as they don't do it again. Yeah, that's the important yeah. part. Hopefully, they both learn exactly, from it. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what what about this big game this week? I mean, you guys are in the eight, Ellie Cat. What? How much does this no. game mean to you? I mean, to cement a spot there. I think it's like I love that we're so far in the eight. Like we've been stuck in the eight all season at the moment. Like it's just so weird for us, based on where we thought we'd be this season. I thought potentially near the eight, but I didn't think we'd be sitting right in it this far in. Um, I think. Richmond for us, especially after the last week, which is such a defensive game because Adelaide have such a good defence. I think this is a must win for us um, because you have so many injuries, you've got so many players out and it's a really good chance for our forwards to spend some time dominating, basically. Do you think that changes the mindset of the players when they see who's out for opposition teams? Like you said, you played defensively last week because you probably had to. But do you reckon the players and even your supporters are going to look at this game and think, right, we should be on all-out attack mode and really try and exploit the lack of depth we've got at the moment? Uh, we're Fremantle, so we're not going to be all-out attack. It's not a thing we do. <laughs> we just defend constantly. Um, but I think it would be an expectation from all of our fans and probably from the club as well that at least one or two of our forwards should kick a bag. We've got so many forwards in our side, which is really weird. Um, you'd, you'd expect them to do something interesting this week, especially because they didn't kick anything last week. And Joe, what about for us? We've got to bounce back after the, the terrible showing against the Doggies. How do you see us trying to win this game? Oh, I, I, honestly, I, I don't think... I would love us to win this game because it would be... It would be the Port Adelaide game the other week all over again. Imagine, remember the high we all got when we beat Port Adelaide when we were expected to lose? It would be a complete replay of that. Unfortunately, I just think with Rioli and Flossie out now, it'll be good if Asprey gets back in. But then you've got Rioli and Flossie possibly out. And I yeah, think they're huge outs. One out too many. <laughs> Yeah, especially yeah. Flossie off the half-back line. He, I, mean, I think this is... I know you said last year he played well, but this year has been he's been unbelievable in the absence of has, the other defenders. Yeah. He's intercept marking and the way he reads the play. Uh, I think I said it on mm-hmm. another episode of the podcast, and I'm not saying he's a Luke Hodge player, but in the, mode, in the mold of a general down back, he's very much assumed that kind of role. And yeah, if he's out, we're going to miss him dearly. We are. Um, because, yeah, we are, especially if Asprey is coming back as well so we're going to need that extra rebounder off our in the back line because Asprey's a great stopper and he'll stop one of Fremantle's forwards probably but he doesn't rebound as well as Flossie or even Grimes but at least hopefully Grimes will get back to his best this week hopefully (laughs) is it Hogan Lobb and uh, who's the other one is it McCarthy is that Lobb's actually playing Ruck our sole ruckman at the moment. Um, okay. So our tools are Ho and McCarthy and Tabner. Um, with Tabner and Lobb kind of swapping between ruck duties sometimes. There are three tools. I really rate Lobb. I was really impressed that you guys signed him. I think he's going to be, or oh, he's a very good gonna, player. He is, I love yeah. him. <laughs> he was such a good pickup. I wasn't actually expecting that one. And you would get Hogan across eventually, but 
I did not think we'd get lob. So if you've got three talls and we only bring in Asprey, that means someone like Broad's going to have to play tall again. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure how tall he can play. Like he plays his role really well when he's got those other players around him. But I'm not sure if he can match up on someone like a Hogan, Joe. Do you, how do you think he'd go having to play a bit taller? I, well, he didn't actually do a bad job against Buddy when he for the brief time he had him against Sydney. That's a good point. Um, but at the same time, but Hogan, I've, yeah, I don't know. Broad, I like Broad. He's, I do. I like him a lot. And everyone calling for him to drop, you dropped. Seriously, guys, he had one bad game. <laughs> but um, you, you had 22 teammates that had bad game or 21 teammates. Well, Definitely that had wasn't bad alone. game too. He wasn't alone. It was like... Yeah, he's not getting dropped. Um, I I reckon he's going to be. Yeah, I I don't even know who they're. I don't haven't watched a lot of Fremantle games, so I don't know how the three of them are performing together. McCarthy, Hogan, and Tabana. It's actually so. been quite interesting seeing them play together because uh, both Tabana and McCarthy tend to play a fair bit up the field. If um. If yeah. they're struggling to play together, so we actually almost end up with like tall midfielders rather than it being a three pronged forward attack. Yeah, if um, um Broad think... probably run with one of the ones higher up the ground then because he's very athletic. That would suit us yeah. a little bit better actually if they do play like yeah. that. Broad would be good, would be on one of them then probably because he's a runner and he will run or he's another endurance runner we have. But yeah, and if you can isolate Broad deep against one of those bigger guys, I think we might be in a bit of trouble. Yeah, that's what you want to do, isolate Broad. You don't need to isolate – you don't want to isolate Asprey or Grimes because they'll probably beat your, your forward, but Broad's the one you want to isolate down there. Yeah, I think as well, though, for our forward line we've got at the moment is that you want a really good medium-sized defender as well because Matera is having a ripper of a year, so – even if our tall forwards are getting held or whatever, he's managing to crumb the ball the same way you want, we've wanted Ballantyne to for the last few years. And he's yeah. getting so many goals just from crumbing the ball. Like, if you looked at his heat map from the game, it would be, like, the goal square. <laughs> and he's I kicking like, five. I feel like opposition don't pay him enough respect as a small forward. They really don't. Exactly. Because we've got Walters there, obviously, who is a gun, they put all their attention on Walters, and so Matera is just getting free reign. I wouldn't mind seeing Sydney stack line up on Matera. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. But I we're a bit stack short would suit on Walters. We're a bit short on medium defenders at the moment, especially if Flossie goes out. Yeah, we're going to get exposed here. Yeah, hopefully Flossie can get up, but it is looking like he's out because he'd be the one I'd be putting on Matera. Yeah, that's true as well. And the other two yeah. players for us, for me, need to have big games is Tom Lynch and Dusty. Both are horrifically out of form. Lynch, probably, uh, a lot of it's probably more to do with our midfield delivery is beyond shocking to him. So there's not much he can kind of do there. But those two need to find a way to get themselves heavily involved in this contest, Joe. They do. Um, I don't know. How, well, I'm actually, on, I'm now officially on the Bring Townsend, the Townsend in bandwagon. He's, was it Jack that said a few weeks ago he loved playing with Townsend last year because he just cleared up the leading lanes? Yeah, he put on all the defenders out of the contest. Like that. Yeah. yeah, he just made it so much easier for Jack to get some room. And I reckon Lynch would just benefit so much 
from someone that could do that because Caddy's not doing it at the moment. No, he's not. And I so from a Fremantle perspective, Ellie Cat, who do you anticipate to line up on Dusty and Lynch? Will you send a tag to Dusty, do you think, like other teams have done? We haven't really been tagging anyone this season. We haven't really needed to. Um, but Tom Lynch, I'm concerned for him for this week. Our backline has been performing so well. Um, Alex Pierce has been stopping every single forward he's come across. Like Tex Walker is probably still having nightmares of him at the moment. The week beforehand, like Norton looked like he shouldn't even be AFL level because of how much he was getting towed up. Um, I think for us, Rewalt's probably the the more scary forward, so we'll probably send Pierce to Rewalt, well, which means Jack's out. injured. Yeah, he's still Jack out. Jack's got a PCL. Well then, that makes it a lazier. Is there any chance um, that Zach Dawson can come and play on Tom Lynch this week? That'd be awesome, by the way, if he could do that for us. <laughs> I do miss Zach so much. Um, <laughs> no, I think, so Tom Lynch will probably end up with Alex Pierce on him then, so I can see Tom Lynch not even touching the ball. The thing is, at the same time, Tom's got a hiding this week off the media. He, he has. He could be, this could be the game he gets, he rebounds in. So Matthew, there's always that Matthew Lloyd come out and is, said so he was like, overrated or something, or something yeah, to that Yeah, and if, if you're Tom Lynch, you're taking that personally. <laughs> The problem for Tom Lynch as well, though, is that if so, if he has a good game against Alex Pierce, we'll just move Hamling onto him, or we'll move like Luke Ryan onto him. We've got so many options. And the way we deliver the ball, you, you to can put just... all your free tall defenders yeah. on him anyway. But we allow teams to <laughs> do that, tend... so we don't tend to double team forwards. We tend to have one specific person on each forward, and someone floats around a bit. It's what we've always done, even back when we had Zach Dawson, McFarlane and Johnson playing together, I'd always have two on forwards and one would be floating. And it still works really well. It's the same strategy the Ross Lions had for his whole life. <laughs> then we really need our small forwards to find some form this week and start getting those crumbs that Tom should hopefully bring to ground. Fingers <laughs> yeah, crossed. Definitely. So yeah. is, there any, crossed. is there any potential changes on the horizon, Alika? Anyone who's coming back in or potentially going out? We've had zero injuries, so there's no obvious out. You're living the dream. But I know, right? <laughs> it's really weird for us. Our, our injury list is tiny, and the ones that we do have on the injury list are ones that are fairly long-term, like your Harley Bennells and that kind of thing. Um, but Connor Blakely is just back from his hamstring injury. He played in Peel last week, got I think it's around 30 touches of the ball, and is training the house down, which is my favourite <laughs> oh, I love that. I know, right? Especially from like probably... January to March. Yeah, but he didn't have a preseason because he tore his hammy, so he's having his preseason now. Train the house down, and I think Blakely, Blakely should definitely be an in because he's so important to our side when he is in. And of course, he's going to play off the half back, so sucks to be your small forwards we we're talking about earlier. Um, yeah, they're not playing well anyway, so no. <laughs> it just depends think... on who would bring out for him, though. I could honestly be conquer. Five needs a rest, Collier. I've heard. If, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely playing injured, but no. Dude, he played with a broken leg for three quarters of a game. Do you really think anything's going to get him out? Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. And Joe, what about for us? I know it's in the VFL that young Patrick Nash had a really good game. Um, he's had a, strung together a lot of good games, actually. It's not just uh, an isolated 
big game. So he might be half a chance to come in. And I'm 100% with your bandwagon on Townsend as well. So Boston Rioli look like the outs. From all reports, Asprey's coming in. So that might mean that someone like Menadu might get omitted for Pat Nash. I hope so. Sorry, I know Paul That's savage. Connor Just straight out. I hope so. <laughs> is is I know he's, I'm not a fan, I'm not a Connor Manager fan at all. I'm sorry. I just don't see what the club sees in him. But like I said, I'm not a football head. But yes, let's bring Patrick Nation, please. Maybe someone will actually deliver the ball to our tall forward properly. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they're the only logical changes I can think of. So I, I don't yeah, know if it's well, going to be enough, the, but. There's always the fact that um, so our match committee, I half expect them to keep um, I half expect them to bring in Dan Butler for Daniel Rioli. Yeah, that's well, he kicked three goals I think in the VFL, so he that's. Did. But like other people have said, I'd like him to do that over a few weeks consistently. Yep. Prove that he knows what he has to do to keep his spot in the senior side. Yeah, because agree. when he's at his best, he's really, really good, Daniel Butler. But he's not at his best at the moment. I just think the physicality of Townsend is more important at this point in time. It is, yeah. And I agree I, with you. I wouldn't mind us trying our luck with him coming in against Fremantle again this year because we know what happened last time that happened. Yeah. Kick six. six goals. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, how about don't bring him in? That'd be great. <laughs> No, I think we've got okay. much I'll make a deal with you. We won't bring Townsend in if you give Fife that rest he needs. I I would be happy to give Fife rest, honestly. Oh, I the arrogance. They it. can beat us without Fife. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I like it. So the way Dusty's playing, they probably could. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do about Dusty. I'm sorry. I just... Well, if you look at how well the Bulldogs played last week, obviously, because they played against you, we play teams into form. So... Next week, you should be fine. Oh, That'd be nice crossed. if someone could play us into form. <laughs> we always do it. I think well, I've done re- Richmond before. Yeah, I'm still convinced that... Until David um, Mundy comes along. We have Fremantle yeah. to thank for our 2017 premiership. <laughs> I honestly think you probably do. <laughs> it was all us. You can hand that premiership cup over whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> That really, right. yeah. Before we let you both go, we'll get a final tip, including margin for the game. I can't imagine this is going to be favourable for us Tiger listeners, so apologies in advance. Joe, what's your tip, including margin? Is it makeshift Mauler that likes the yes. obnoxious, <laughs> bogus tips? I apologise, yeah. makeshift Mauler, but I just... Fremantle, two or three goals. <laughs> Gee, I think you're being generous there. And makeshift's actually on in the next week or two, so he'll give us an outrageous one. I think Fremantle yeah. are going to win by about 25 or 30 points. I just, if we play like we did last week, they're going to cut us up. So, I, yeah. yeah, something drastic has to change for us to be able to get a win. But you never know. And Elika, go, go as hard as you want. Don't be shy. Well, I wrote Freo to win with a Monday call after the siren. Oh, that's... Um, oh, that's Jesus so Christ. That... <laughs> That we save it for the MCG only. <laughs> yeah, it is MCG only. Done. Um, I wrote about 30 points. So, however, hopefully we leave the margin just enough so that you guys can stay in ninth for another week. Oh, yes. Very good. I thought you no, might have forgotten to add that in. Would, 
probably drop our percentage even further. So we probably wouldn't be in neither this week. If we lost everyone wants points. you to. With the range the rest of the games during the week so you guys can stay in ninth for a little bit longer. Oh, we all know North <laughs> Melbourne will end up taking it off us because they've finished their more than we have. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's just, just not going to happen. The one team that really needs to tank this year and get that number one or number two draft pick, and you just know they're going to finish ninth or tenth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, really. Yeah. I reckon 30 points-ish. Um, we don't tend to destroy teams except for North Melbourne at the start of the year, which was beautiful. That's excellent. We tend to I did watch that, that game, and it was very beautiful to watch. Thank you for that. Oh, anytime. But I think your margin's fairly spot on there. Yeah. All right, well, Ellie Katz and Jolzy T, there you go. I've gotten away with it the whole episode. <laughs> Thanks for coming on tonight. Really appreciate your time. Um, hopefully it's a good game and no injuries. Um, and until next time, go Tigers. And fingers crossed we can try and get a win. Yes, Thank fingers you. crossed. Go Freo. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the Richmond Big Footy Tiger Cast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube so you can follow all the roasts and toasts, the reviews and previews, and all topics Richmond. Also keep an ear out for our special episodes of interviews with past players. Go Tigers!